Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone um, living in crazy, challenging, and confusing times. I mean, with Russia invading Ukraine, COVID, and we were hoping it's finally at the tail end, but we really don't know. Inflation, America indivisible, America indivisible. Remember that? America indivisible. That seems like a fading reality. The climate crisis. I don't know how you're feeling, but I know that I'm feeling this conflicted um, sense of urgency. And how do you get grounded? How do you find resiliency? Gardening and strengthening the local foods movement. So on today's show, we're going to be talking about both. A new group has, a new group has formed, uh, miniag.org, and it's a group of food system organizations. It includes Land Stewardship Project, Second Harvest Heartland, Renewing the Countryside, Seward Co-op, and many more that's working with this Minnesota legislature on how to build sustainable and equitable ag- agricultural landscape for Minnesota. So Aaron McGee with the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, IATP, we're going to be joining us later in this show to talk about this collective effort. Um, and it's all about building unity, unifying uh, farmers, farming networks, nonprofits, serving farmers, institutionists, institutions, and activists, all to advance a regional food system. So we have food security, sovereignty, public health, climate resilience. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> Doesn't that sound so? We're we're looking forward to talking to Erin um, in the second half of the show. But for this first half, I'm very pleased um, that um, beginning next week, a new gardening show will be on AM 950 right before Food Freedom Radio, 7 a.m. on Saturdays. The gardening with Joey, the gardener, the gar- gardening with Joey and um, Holly radio show out of Milwaukee. Welcome, Joey, to AM. Well, 9- thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so tell me, I, I think I, I got your name. So it's Gardening with Joey and Holly. So the tell Gardening us, with Joey and Holly radio show, yes. There is a the there. So tell us a little bit yeah. about your radio show. Well, uh, Holly, my wife, we are co-hosts together. We founded the this program. We created this program back in 2017 under a different name. Uh, we were on one station in Milwaukee. We're based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And we did the one show in Milwaukee for two years. And Holly and I were pleased with it. We're self-funded. We find all the sponsors. We do everything except for push the button to make the show go on the radio. Wow. So, you, so that we, we do everything. So after the second season, Holly and I got to talking and I said, we could sit here in Milwaukee and do our little show and be fine and happy. But if we're going to go, let's go big and go crazy. So we started reaching out to other markets. And at that point, we picked up a, a market out of Michigan and a market out of uh, Pennsylvania. And we ran that for in a, in a market out of Southern California. So we did that for a year. And then the next year we picked up more. And the next year, six years down the road here, coming into season six, we're going to be on 18 stations in 15-plus markets uh, across the country in some part of 24 states. Wow, that is really exciting. I mean, that's that takes a lot of work. One of the things, and I, I know I, I stumbled on your YouTube videos probably decades ago, but... This is so impressive. You have, and this is uh, 1,950 videos on YouTube. It's probably yes. over 2,000 now. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're around 2,200 at this point. Um, during the peak gardening season, we are putting out around 11 videos a week. Um, wow. With the in-studio video of the radio show, segments of the show, and then actual in-garden tips, tricks, techniques, how to grow, dealing with problems, 
uh, we, we put a lot out because there's a lot to be put out, and there's a lot of people that's looking for that information, whether on the radio or on uh, YouTube. Right, and I know that's when I stumbled on that. So tell us a little bit about, you guys have a wealth of information about organic, growing organic food. Um, so tell us about those 2,000 videos on YouTube and how people find them and what type of information they might be able to find there. You just go on YouTube and underneath, uh, just type in The Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener. You're going to pull up all of our stuff. That's our parent website, uh, thewisconsinvegetablegardener.com. Uh, go on YouTube, use the same uh, search terms, and you're going to find everything about how to plant tomatoes, how to build your soil, how to protect your soil, how to grow the best pe- uh, peppers, and how to deal with bugs and insects in the garden. And right now, we're starting seeds indoors, and we'll talk. Uh, we talk about getting the right equipment. It's great if you want to go to the the store and buy the El Cheapo thing on sale, but always in life, you get what you pay for. If you want a good piece of equipment, whether a car, a truck, a tractor, or a grow light, you're going to have to put a little money and invest into it, and it will last you many, many years. And, of course, gardening is very personal. It's not like this is the one way to garden for everybody because you know everyone's um, approaching it from different viewpoints, and it's also very personal what plants you invite, what food you want to eat. Um, and so um, you, you guys have been doing this for so long and you have so many um, approaches to agriculture. Um, I want to hear your personal story. So you grew up on a farm. I grew up on a farm in southern Illinois, about 60 miles southeast of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, the farm is still in an operation right now. When I was there, we had uh, 2,000 head of hogs and 300 cattle at a cattle. Now they've uh, moved away from the hogs because the market is all corporate. And now there are about 600 head of cattle and it's still a thousand uh, tillable acres. And we had three large gardens on the farm. And that's all I remember. We never bought, mom never allowed a bottle of store-bought ketchup in the house. <laughs> we, she would can you know, 20, 30 quarts of ketchup every year. We, and, and the treat was when we went to a fast food restaurant, we got the little packets that we could actually taste what real store-bought ketchup was like. That was, that was a treat. Um, and we grew everything from grapes to peas to tomatoes, the, the, the staples as well. And canning was something that was happening in the kitchen every week all summer long and was put up uh, for the winter. I can remember one of the guests on the show said, you know, my mom would never buy that white bread. She'd only make these fine grain breads. And as kids, we're kind of going, but we want the white bread. <laughs> and and then as an adult, really going back and having that deep appreciation for what um, her mother did and, and the type of food that um, that, that type of um, – the, the type of resilience and the type of um, – I'm not sure how to say this, so maybe help me out a little bit here, Joey. But, that, uh, I mean, so, you appreciate your mom more now? Yeah, and, and those mothers and fathers and grandmothers that had done that in years past probably made us all a little healthier more than what we think. Well, there's some – Excellent. By making that homemade stuff. There's some excellent research out there. I mean, we're, our, our, our food has lost a lot of its nutritional value. Um, you know, the lifespan of humans was going up, up, up. But it before COVID, our lifespan was starting to go down collectively in the United States. And many people say it's simply because we're not eating enough fruits and vegetables and the the food that we're do that we are eating um has lost lost a lot of value because of the soil that it's raised in 
you make a good point. If you have a grandmother or can find a grandmother of age and ask her when you were young and when you were young but could remember when you went to the grocery store how many aisles was processed food the answer is going to be very few it was all fresh meats and vegetables and those type of things breads it wasn't you know it's hard now to go to the store and you know list off or go down an aisle and go oh that's an organic that's an apple that it's all processed box stuff now and it's not good no, no. Now, your wife did not grow up on a farm. She grew up in the city. Correct. She grew up in West Allis, which is a suburbs of a suburb of Milwaukee, and she grew up with a garden about the size of what she says, quote, a postage stamp, which is about a four-by-four four, uh, area in the backyard, and they didn't do plant starts, as many gardeners do nowadays. Uh, she didn't know what a plant start was until we started dating and got married and started starting plants they would physically put the tomato seed in the ground at memorial day weekend in milwaukee and then by august september she had tomatoes growing never knew that you could start the seeds indoors um i grew up on a, a very large farm so taking that knowledge of her very small garden and my knowledge of much larger garden or some people would say land management capabilities we were able to grow and do grow in somewhat of a very large backyard. Uh, we started with in-ground gardening of approximately 900, then 1,100, then 1,800 square feet, and it got to the point where it wasn't that we couldn't manage it. It was that the weeds and what we needed to do in order to have healthy crops, we couldn't keep up with that. So two years ago, we invested the means in order to convert that 1,800 square foot ground garden into about a 600 square foot raised bed garden. And because of that, bringing in good locally sourced compost, we are able to produce the amount, if not more, than what we were able to do in the 1,800 square foot garden in the 600 square foot raised garden with a fraction amount of work. But again, it was a financial investment that is paying us back year after year because the, the less amount of work we have to put in and the reward of the more healthier plants that we are growing in that locally sourced compost. And I'm going to go back. What everyone does for gardening is is so personal, but this idea of having a box garden. Now, most people listening to the show probably knows what a box garden is, but you want to describe that? Uh, a raised bed, you mean? Yeah, raised bed. Raised bed is a structure, whether it's made of uh, plastic or wood or metal, that is a box of some shape, 4x4, four 4x8, four, 4x16, four and it's approximately 8 to 12 inches high. Some are much higher, but this is the, that's the general size. And you fill it with compost that you typically buy from your local independent garden center. They'll bring it in. And it is black, rich soil. And it really takes a lot of the guesswork out of, do I have the right pH? Do I have the right amount of fertilizer in my native soil? Or do I have toxicities in my native soil? This takes all of that out. You put that raised bed in your yard. You fill it up, and you will be so surprised of how much more easier it is to grow vegetables. It's not easy. It's never easy. There's always some work and some challenges, but it takes a lot of the uh, guesswork out of the uh, building a garden or planting a garden. 
Yeah, and that's, I mean, it really all starts with the soil. Um, I, I know we, it, it just the, having the right soil. So what can people do to make sure that they're using the right soil? Talk to, and if we're going with compost or bringing in a raised bed mix, you want to look at your local independent garden center. Many of them are around. Look it up on your, on your favorite search engine. Type in local garden center. Put your zip code. Go there and talk to them. Typically, they will either have a sourced means of compost in bulk, meaning that they'll bring a truckload to your property, or they have created their own formula. If you're going to build raised beds, you want to look at the bulk material, bringing the truck, dump truck in and dumping in your driveway, because it is a fraction of the cost of what it would take in order for you to go buy bagged soil to fill that bed. Now, if you're doing a couple of containers or grow bags on the patio porch or deck, that's that's fine. The the bag soil, it's it's easy. It's much more. Uh, uh, you know, if you only need two or three cubic feet, that's fine. But if you're looking at needing yards of compost, talk to your independent garden center. They will know or know what you need to do that. Now, if you're going in your native garden soil, if you're going in the backyard and going to dig up a four by four plot of soil and go of land and go, going to put tomatoes so- here. So, Joey, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about the uh, Wisconsin Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener and growing our own food. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, and my name is Laura Hedlund. I'm a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and somebody who's really seeking resiliency and tough times. And one of the funnest, uh, most grounding ways to do that is by gardening. And so very pleased that um, next week on AM 950, right before Food Freedom Radio, a new show is going to be airing, um, 7 a.m. on Saturdays, the Gardening with Joey and Holly radio show, which is out of Milwaukee. And joining us right now is Joey, Joey Barr. And Joey, you guys have been... Um, doing these shows for for a while. You grew up on a farm. You have over 2,000 YouTube videos with tips about gardening. Yes. Um, we kind of went into the YouTube thing. The only reason we got in the YouTube thing is the, play, the, the, the business that Holly and I used to work at, she was in customer service, and there was a contest, and the contest winner got a little digital camera, video camera and this was like 2008 9 10 2010 when digital wasn't what it is today and she won it and she said what are we going to do with it and i said oh we'll just make some videos and put on youtube 11 years later and 2000 some odd videos uh uh completed we're still creating youtube videos and we're learning as we go we continue to learn and glean off other youtubers articles uh people's problems that call in or, or write in and go, hey, I've got this problem, and Holly and, our, Holly and I are like, we didn't even know that existed. We've got to do research on it, and we learn that way as well. This is so fun. So it's all about um, um, food you grow, home canning, simple living. And, uh, you know, this is just uh, – have you found an increase in interest in this? Because it's, it's, so, it's so vital. We have. When we started the radio show in 2017, and even be earlier than that – 
we had a lot of listeners, viewers of uh, more female than male, which from what I understand in the industry, that's kind of typical, but of, let's say, 45 and older. Now we are seeing a much more larger interest in the age bracket of 25 to 35. And that is the key bracket in which a lot of people are having kids and they are wanting to make sure what they are growing or feeding their kids is healthier than what they were fed uh, when they were a kid. So I think there's a correlation between the two there. And we, we have seen that. And, and during the uh, in beginning stages of the pandemic, we saw things really ramp up and, and they're still very up there because people are now that was a wake up call to a lot of people that we can't always rely on where we've always got gotten our food, our, 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 our stores or grocery stores, because in the industry, if the truck stop running, you got about two days of or three days of fresh produce and meat at your grocery store. And that's a very, very small window. And we're very vulnerable as a society, knowing that and, and for that even being a, a factor. Yeah, and so it's actually oh, I'm about the, it's actually a fragile food system, and that's yes. that's hard to that's hard to face. But uh, I know there's a, a, a new story out of Florida right right now um, in the United States. Um, we're experiencing the lowest um, orange crop. I mean, in like 77 years because of a, a virus, uh, mm-hmm. not virus, but um, do you know what that is? Uh, there was a bug or something, was it not? That yeah, came in there and er- eradicated the crops. Yeah, so it's. Uh, um, yeah, it's some type of um, um, I, I I have it here somewhere, but uh, blame a citrus disease. But they're having the lowest production in seventy seven years, and so, um, but but growing our own food is is actually something that people can do. It's an easy thing. That's one of the purposes you guys have is just to show people it can be tricky, but to show people that it can also be easy. It, it can be tricky with a few tips. It can be easy. Whether you grow one tomato plant on your patio porch or deck that can produce about 10 to 15 pounds of homegrown tomatoes, and if you've ever had a homegrown tomato or a far- farmer's market tomato, you will snarl at the ones at the grocery store because there's no comparison. And Or if you're going to dig up the whole backyard and produce your own organic farm for your family, it can be done. There's a preparation and investment, and we are here to help in order to get you in the right direction, but you've got to do some of the work yourself. And there's a lot of um, wonderful community gardens and places for people who are renting to actually get involved. And I know in uh, here in the Twin Cities, we have an open door program that actually offers um, gardening space for for people um, so they can have a plot. And there's plenty of others. I know the Minnesota Horticulture Society right now is working on a new uh, website that will be available that will show all the community gardens. And so really creating access for people to have and grow their own food in troubled times, that that growing your own food, obviously it, it helps with the budget, um, it creates healthy food, but there's also an emotional aspect to growing your own food. Do you agree with that, Joey? I do. Uh, and there's a study out, it's called the Farm Effect, and I think they studied Amish children and Amish women who were pregnant and how low of a rate of asthma and allergies in which they had, and they contributed to, they were always outside, they were always working in the field or in the barn or in the garden and they came they became immune to those uh, allergies and also the study shows that there are beneficial um 
things that happen when you when a human touches soil it it creates different reactions in the brain a dopamine high when you harvest as some people will get when they do drugs you get this high of satisfaction that you accomplished growing this so there's many good health benefits of being in the garden working in the soil even if you don't always succeed there's a many good benefits to that. Well, let's talk about some of the failures with gardening, too, because, yes, there's plenty of failures. Um, uh, can you think of some that you'd like to share? Uh, a couple of, when we first started gardening, and this was before, you know, we really got into it, I wanted to compost in an apartment. So I thought, okay, I'll just get a Rubbermaid container, fill it with grass clippings from the landscape, and then put the lid on it and seal it and let it compost not thinking that it needed oxygen and became, it became over two weeks this awful, glottonous slime that stunk. So uh, learnt, learnt the lesson there. Um, uh, the other one was don't oh, just because you can uh, plant says partial shade doesn't mean it is going to be happy in partial shade. Partial shade is if you got some shade three or four hours during the day over a plant. That's fine. But if you're trying to grow, let's say, radishes, underneath the canopy of tomatoes that doesn't work because then they're completely shaded out plants need a certain amount of ambient uh, and direct sunlight in order to be successful you also have to feed your soil if you do the raised box system or the raised bed system that's great but you do have to feed the soil with an organic or inorganic fertilizer or supplement more compost on top of that because the nutrients are removed from the soil into the plant so you can eat the, the, the harvest. So you it just can't be, oh, we're always going to grow in this box forever and not give anything back to the soil. you got to feed the soil. Yeah, it's all about reciprocity. Um, so the Gardening with Joey and Holly show starts next week, and you like uh, f- uh, f- uh, listeners to ask you questions and offer you feedback? Yes, uh, they can always ask us questions at gardentalkradio at gmail.com. Or if they'd like to actually call and leave a message, our hotline's open 24-7, and that's 1-800-927-SHOW, S-H-O-W. So we're taping this in February, March. What type of activities should people be thinking about um, in the garden right now? Um, I would advise looking at what you have, the area in which you're going to plant, and two, figuring out what you're going to plant. Only plant things that you know that you like to eat. Don't waste space on things you don't. And if you can, look at starting some plants indoors so you don't have to buy them at the garden center because those prices has continually gone up year after year. And if you can grow 30 uh, romaine lettuce plants at the garden center that we visit, they were $5.49 a plant last year. So if you can start a whole bunch inside, you've saved a whole lot of money and you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, and that, that growing from seeds and saving your seeds from year to year, do you do you save your own seeds? Yes, we do. You want to save organic seeds or heirloom seeds. You really want to avoid saving anything that is of hybrid because it may not more – it can morph back to a parent plant. There's a whole uh, science lesson in that. But organic and heirloom seeds, you can continue to save them year after year, and you'll have no problem – um, growing them for many years to come. And of course, this is a great time to be looking at over 2,000 videos on YouTube. Um, just tell us, give us a flavor of all the information you have available. Uh, everything from canning what you grow. We've got 45 different videos on 45 different items that you can can 
in your kitchen to the failures, tools you need for outdoor and indoor, building your soil, what you should grow, unique vegetables in which you can grow here in uh, the Twin Cities and Wisconsin, and a host of in-studio videos of the past six, uh, five years of our radio show and a whole lot more. So you grew up on a traditional family farm and your parents are still farming. What, what, is, what, what, what kind of feedback do they give you? Well, I'll start with the positive. Uh, my grandparents are very excited and, and they're good with what we are doing. When we first came out with, we're going to do a radio show, uh, my dad was like, well, that's good. I hope it works out for you because radio host in their world does not equate to a normal job and normal income. So they were very hesitant about um, us doing or me being a radio host because that's not a normal job. A normal job is a farm job, a factory, that type of thing. So over the course of several years, they have uh, came over to the side of, well, as long as it's still working for you and you can support your family, that's fine. So that's that's where we're at on that. And uh, Holly and I are very excited that we did pick up a market in the St. Louis area in which they can now listen to the show on their own radios, Ooh. and they don't have to go through the internet to to hear the shows because How they're not fun. they're not internet people. So this will be a very uh, this is exciting so, for us that they can listen to the show. So Joey Barr, um, the Gardening with Joey and Holly radio show um, out of Milwaukee is starting next week on AM nine fifty. So you can tune into that or check out the um, over two thousand videos. Um, so for all that information, you can go to the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener dot com. We're going to take a break and come back. We're going to talk about a new group that's formed um, and uh, how they want to affect the legislature to include uh, to improve our overall food systems in Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant to nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Headline, and you know it's not easy. Um, we have this dreamland, um, uh, but uh, so how do, how do we find this resilient food system that nourishes the soil and nourishes each other? And I'm very excited right now that Erin McGee um, with the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, IATP, is joining us to talk about a new group that has just formed. Uh, welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Erin. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm really excited about this new group. So the mini egg, tell us about it. Yeah, we are really excited to have launched a new network called the Mini Egg Network. Um, And the intention of this is kind of to offer a space, an intentional space to connect and collaborate and pursue initiatives that will support a food and farm system that nourishes people and the planet. So we're really talking about bringing together lots of different organizations working on this from different angles and create a shared language and priorities that represent the needs of emerging farmers and food systems that are grounded in people and the planet. And we want to inspire policy change at the state level. And so the groups include land stewardship projects, second harvest heartland, renewing the countryside, sewered co-op, IATP, um, and many more. Yes, that's right. And we, we're still adding more members as we go on. So 
if anyone listening is interested in joining this effort, they're certainly welcome to go to our Mini Egg Network website and get on our list and kind of get signed up for updates and stay in touch. Um, but we're basically bringing together, there have been a lot of past initiatives that have worked on identifying what are the barriers and systemic problems in our system, our food and farm system that make it hard to um, have emerging farmers succeed. And we want to build on the momentum from those initiatives, but really focus on solutions and action. Um, especially we're focusing this year on trying to make this a year of action and bringing people together all across the state to do advocacy for real change and solutions that can make a tangible difference for farmers. Right. And it's all about, one thing I love about that is it's about building unity. So uniting farmers, farming networks, nonprofits, institutions, activists to advance a regional food system, which offers food security, sovereignty, public health, climate resilience, and equity and, and, equ- and equitable communities. That's the vision. Yeah, that's right. Yes. I, I think um, it's really important. We talked a lot about how we want to provide this structure where we're organizing um, what are the legislative priorities that rise to the top of community members' minds. And we did a long community input process to gather what people think is important. And then we want to communicate what those priorities are with decision makers, but also at the same time, provide support to community members to participate fully in the civic engagement opportunities so that the voices of the people who are actually impacted by these decisions can be part of the decision-making conversation. So, for example, um, just on Wednesday this week, there was a really good micro-farm premium assistance bill from Representative Vang that was up for a hearing in the House Ag Committee. Um, And if you weren't really tuned in and, like, subscribing to find out which bills had hearings when and what all of them were and which ones were supportive for things that you care about, you might not have known that that was happening. Um, and the bill is, is looking to provide small grants for farmers um, and also to organizations that can provide technical assistance, so to Hmong American Farmers Association, the Latino Economic Development Center, um, to provide assistance to farmers to access that funding. And we were able to send an action alert out to this mini-ag network, and we were able to get a stack of nine letters of support attached to that bill when it was up for its hearing, which is super powerful. So if people know when the opportunities to support what they care about are there, they really want to get involved. And what we hope is that we can create a structure where people can communicate to us what is important to them, and then we can identify, hey, Here's an opportunity for you to put in your comments as somebody who would be affected by this decision. Or here's an opportunity where you could sign up to to testify and share your story about why this is important to you. Um, I think when you're not in the legislative system, a lot of these processes can be really confusing and opaque. And so we want to provide some clarity and kind of um, organize the groups that are working on these issues on the ground because they're the ones that are closest to the solutions to the barriers that they're encountering every day. And so one of the priorities is democracy. Um, You know, that democracy really relies on that participation. And so um, living a a democracy um, to create a living food system or to support living, living food systems. I love the way you put that. Yes, exactly. I think that... Our vision is that the people who are impacted by 
these decisions need to have a voice in making these decisions, and they should be controlling and accountable um, for the the decision makers need to be accountable to the people that are impacted and who are depending on them to make decisions that will benefit for the community. And so one of the other um, priorities of the group is to increase financial and capacity investments in infrastructure, small and medium-sized processing, and market development statewide. So a lot in that sentence, but that's a really powerful sentence. That's right, yeah. I think um, what we're really looking out for is an opportunity to connect. There's, There's a term emerging farmers that the Minnesota Department of Agriculture uses. And it really, that term is meant to reflect the diversity and intersectionality of farmers and the way that they might encounter different barriers in our current system. So that includes young, beginning farmers, women farmers, immigrant farmers, BIPOC farmers, LGBTQ plus farmers, um, all kinds of different farmers for whom the system is not really set up to meet their, their needs. And right now there are groups that are speaking on behalf of Minnesota farmers in the legislature, but they don't always include the perspectives of these emerging farmers. Um, and so our, our goal is to really create a space for them to be able to make their voices heard and get their priorities across to decision makers. So one of the other big priorities is to enable land access and farm viability for these emerging farmers. That is really huge. Um, right now, we know that nationally, non-white farmers own less than 4% of agricultural land. And in Minnesota, that rate is even lower. Um, farmers of color are more likely to rent land, and they tend to operate smaller farms that produce less revenue. And land access is huge for our emerging farmers. It always rises to the top of priority list because they need to know where they are going to be able to farm. And it's so expensive. And if you're renting, it's very difficult because you don't want to make investments in that land um, if you don't know if you're going to be there the next year. Or you can't plant perennial crops if you don't know if they're going to be able to be there for a long time and have the payoff um, year after year. So it's really important to have stable land access. Um, and there are definitely solutions that we can push forward that can try to support um getting more access for emerging farmers to capital and to land. It's such an issue, and it's it's a really tricky issue because right now land prices are escalating um, because people who are deeply embedded in a transactional um, philosophy of life, you know, that's, that's almost like gold. Oh, we can have land and then it's gold. Whereas um, in a relational philosophy of life, Food and water, water is life, and how do we feed each other? How do we have an anti-fragile community? And how do we build out the system that, you know, that, that can you know, feed all of us in, in a way that um, sustains for future generations? Yeah, that's right. I think um, some of our partners at the Young Farmers Coalition are working on this idea. Right now, the average age of farmers is 55, and it's really important to figure out how they can transfer their land to young beginning farmers, but maybe those farmers don't can't access the price that a farmer could get if they were just selling the land to be developed. And maybe those farmers need that money because they are going to retire. So 
there are a lot of um, initiatives and solutions that are focused on how can we transfer land in a way that will honor the farmers who are there and then create opportunities for new farmers to still carry on food production in those spaces. And I think um, I like the way that you're talking about the anti-fragile food systems. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us, after the pandemic, it really exposed so much of the fragility of our current farm and food system and the supply chains that we depend on. Um, And there's been some recognition of how much we do depend on our farmers. And we really think that now is the time to move that recognition to taking action to know that we are we're standing behind them and supporting them and really focusing on the solutions that can help them. Right. And so how do we um, leverage Minnesota agriculture to create positive climate and ecosystem impact? That's another one of the priorities of the group. Yeah, that's right. I I think um, it's really interesting because I, I see I'm coming at this work from doing a lot of farm to school and farm to early care initiatives. Um, So I was focused on institutional food purchasing and especially like coming at it with that dual perspective from the the food and eating side and the farm side. It's really interesting to me that a lot of these solutions and I, I think some of the best solutions like farm to school and farm to early care are really good for everyone involved. So they're really good for the kids who get access to fresh, healthy um, nutritious food, and they're good for farmers um, because they provide a new market for those farmers to sell into. And I think that if you look at um, a lot of these different solutions, if you just think creatively, there are solutions that can benefit the entire community and everybody involved. I love that. I love that well, everything in there because that, that whole ability to think creatively. And I, I started this show um, kind of just saying my own feelings with, you know, Ukraine invading Russia and the virus and, um, and and inflation and all this stress out there. And, and you know, the word America in indivisible, that there was there was a belief system that we were one America and that we are indivisible. And we've been so much caught up in all these drama in these stories and one of the hopes I see is that um, that there can be a real feeling of, of an, an atmosphere of unity, that this idea of, um, of creating better processing for beef farmers, of having um, more resilient food systems, of helping out Main Street, this is something that crosses a lot of boundaries and, and can create a place of coming together. Definitely. I think that's that's one of the main drivers of this network um, is that for many of us, we were working on our own little niche issues by ourselves and trying to get something done on our own. And we saw that we really needed to come together and that we would be much stronger and have a much more powerful position trying to advocate for change if we could come up with a unified platform of what's important to all of us, what would benefit all of members of our community. And then if we come together, um, we can have a much stronger voice when we're in the decision-making conversations to say, hey, we've got all these membership, or all of our members are behind this effort. All of us are standing together in support of this. Um, Instead of just working as individual organizations, on just one tiny issue that affects us. And really, it is a systems approach because if you try to um, 
just support one issue in isolation, it's not going to work unless the entire system is is also modified to make that um, an easier way of operating. So if you're trying to increase local purchasing, you also need to support land access and you also need to support greater investment into nutritious food, into the child nutrition programs, for example. Um, and you, you do need to invest in climate-friendly um, approaches to agriculture as well to make sure that we're supporting soil health um, and cover crops. Basically, if you try to work on one of these issues by itself, it's not going to be successful. But we know that we're more powerful together and we can do a lot more together than we could ever do by ourselves. Yeah, embla- em- embracing both unity and complexity. Because these issues, they can it can feel so complex. But once you actually um, find that point of unity, it, there, there's, there's this wonderful... Um, potentials uh, arise. I mean, as you can grow more local food, that helps the water quality, that helps create jobs. Um, it, it can kind of uh, help cycle up. Definitely, definitely. I think um, a big intention of this network is to look at those root causes and then to take a systems approach to changing the structures that are in place so that it will it will have those benefits across the entire system. So we have about two minutes left. I want to make sure um, you get a chance to tell people where they can learn more about um, this new um, approach. Yeah, well, we would love for people to come check out our website where you can learn more about the priorities that community members shared. Um, if you want to go there, it's, it's miniag.org. So it's M-I-N-N-E-A-G dot O-R-G. And if you go there, there's a place where you can sign up to be on our listserv as well. If you want to get our updates, get our action alerts, join the movement, we would love more partners um, in this effort. So last minute and a half, um, what's your hope for this activity? I think, you know, our, our big picture hope is that the people that are impacted by decisions will be able to come together and make their voices heard so that they can take part in civic engagement and know what opportunities there are to engage when those decisions are being made. And then ultimately, um, our vision is really that we would have um, a sustainable and equitable agricultural landscape for all of Minnesota. So we want to convene leaders on sustainable agriculture and champion nonpartisan policy solutions that can protect communities, farmers, and climate and foster economic resiliency for all Minnesotans. Um, indivisible. An indivisible Minnesota and an indivisible food system. Um, the health of each other. We're all connected and, and are connected also to our future. Um, so I thank you so much, Erin McGee, with the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, IATP. Um, and um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Any final thoughts? No, just thanks. So much for the opportunity to join you today, and we really appreciate it and are really excited for more people to join us. We're right at the beginning stages here, so you can get in on the ground floor. Great, and thank you again for your work as well. Um, uh, an indivisible Minnesota based on a resilient food system that helps climate and helps um, create a more just and thriving world for all.